The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so I'm uh, very happy to be here with you today. And so the title is uh, Spirit of the Buddha, because I needed a title, and this is a title of my latest book. (laughs) But what I wanted to do is, in a way, look at the spirit of the Buddha through the Noble Eightfold Path. And because if we look at uh, what the Buddha says about his uh, awakening, there is this uh, very interesting definition where he says, that's in Samyutta Nikaya, it is owing to the development of virtue, concentration, and understanding that I have reached enlightenment. So in a way, often we have this idea that the awakening of the Buddha just happened under the Bodhi tree. And if he had not been under the Bodhi tree, it would not have happened. But I think here what the Buddha is saying is that he attained awakening through cultivating different aspects of his potential. And so in a way, it's not just about in a way meditation and just having an experience, but it's also about cultivating ethics, of course, cultivating concentration, and also cultivating understanding. So what I want to do today is actually try to using the framework of the Eightfold Path, and we'll see if I can cover the eight (laughs) in a day, because I also want you to do some uh, sitting meditation and walking meditation, and I want to have a little uh, discussion as well. But we'll see how much we can cover. And so I thought that maybe, possibly we might be fresher in the morning, so I thought maybe we could, uh, if everybody seems to be up to it, we could finish maybe by quarter to one or one o'clock. Then we could have one hour for lunch, if you think that is enough to go and get your lunch and come back. Or we can have an hour and a quarter if you think it's uh, needed. And then we can then go until five if you all seem to be up to it and have the energy for that. And I don't see you nodding on your question. So what I'd like to do first is actually take a look a little at meditation first and to, to see in the, I know, in the Noble Eightfold Path, you have generally considered to have the meditation toward the end, the last two, appropriate mindfulness, appropriate concentration. But what I like to do is to take one of the first one and one of the last one to look at what we're doing in meditation and what it's about. So you have appropriate concentration, which was toward the end of the list. And I think with appropriate concentration, we have to be careful because actually there are several definitions in the Pali canon of that. One of them, of course, is associated with the jhana, with the meditative absorption. And so this is like what I would call a very serious type of uh, concentration. But we have another definition which seems to be more practical in terms of our daily life. And this is 
the fact that appropriate concentration is about unification of mind in order that it helps us to cultivate the rest of the Eightfold Path. So then if we think more of appropriate concentration in terms of that definition, unification of mind, is we can see that a lot of the time when we try to sit in meditation, people say, but I have so many thoughts that generally you kind of get a little kind of overwhelmed by the thoughts. <coughs> and so what does it mean to have so many thoughts and then trying to unify the mind? And so personally, I feel then we can look in terms of two different ways to do concentration. One is what I would call exclusive concentration, and the other one I would call inclusive concentration. An exclusive concentration is when you're told to push everything away. You don't hear the thought, you don't hear the sound, you try to totally, for example, just concentrate on the breath. And you don't do anything else. So, but I feel to do that, first create a little of tension, and I think there is enough tension in our life without adding more. And secondly, in order to do that, you really need very specific circumstances. And then, of course, that might lead to the jhanas and things like that. But personally, I'm not so sure you can be in total absorption, kind of in a very, what I would call, a rarefied meditative state, and talk to your children or cook dinner or do some kind of you know, long-term planning at work. So again, that's why I put more emphasis on what I call inclusive meditation. And inclusive meditation, then the concentration is more about anchoring. And the anchoring is going to unify our mind, not in terms of uh, making it one block, but more to, I would say, in a way, unify it in a spacious way and anchor it in the moment. Because we might have noticed often we lost in the past, gone to the future. And in a way, the idea of the concentration is to try to be more aware of ourselves in this moment in a wide, open way. So I would say, see the concentration as this anchoring, anchoring function. And so you focus on the breath, or on the body, or on the sound. There are many different ways to concentrate, but within a wide, open awareness. So that it's not that you're pushing anything away. In a way, you accept everything. The fact that sounds, thoughts, sensations, feelings, but you let them arise and pass away in the background. And in the foreground, you try to be with the object, which will help you to anchor, which will help you to focus the breath or the body or the sound, for example. And then what is interesting with that what happens when we try to do that exercise? The fact that we try to be aware of the breath. Let's take the breath for now. Just be aware of the breath in meditation. And then what happens? You sit, you try to be aware of the breath. And according to how much meditation you might have done, within a nanosecond or within 30 seconds, you think of something else. Or you get kind of worried about your sensations, or you might get worried about certain feelings you have. And the problem is not with the sound, the feeling, or the thought. 
There is no problem with that. This is just being human. I think it's very important to see that concentration is not trying to stop us being human. That I think is very important. We're not trying to become robot or automaton. But it's trying to ground us. The concentration is really to stabilize us, to ground us, to anchor us. And so what happens is that at some point you remember, what am I doing here? I am not... I came here with an intention to be aware, to be awake. So then you come back. And actually, with this um, inclusive concentration, what is important is the fact that you come back. The fact that you go away doesn't matter. You can go away a thousand times, and you have the opportunity to come back a thousand times. But each time you come back, you are doing something very important. You are not feeding, for example, the mental habits, and then you're dissolving its power. And then it can come back to its creative functioning. So, for example, if you sit in meditation daydreaming, then you can come back to the creative function of imagining. If you have a tendency to plan, you come back to the creating function that it's good to plan time to time, but not a hundred times the same thing because generally it really makes you get even more tense to plan too much. Or judging. We often do, we judge ourselves, others. Again, we need that function. But if you do it all the time, then it gets really tense again. So that's what we're trying to do. Not to get rid of the thought, but to bring them back to their creative functioning. And that partly will be done through the appropriate concentration what I would call this inclusive concentration. So that's what we try to do. And then also, what this will do in terms of the effect of this appropriate concentration is that generally it helps us to be a little more calm. Then that's where there is a little more of that unification of mind. And also personally, I feel it becomes more spacious that we still have thought, but it's like there is more space around the thought. So then it's kind of they're not like a going so fast, but they arise, we can consider it, take them up or not, and they can go down again. So there is kind of more space around it. So it's a unified mind, but I would say it's a spacious unified mind. And then there is another aspect of meditation which I feel partly comes from the first of the Noble Eightfold Path. And the first one, you must have heard about it. Generally, it's translated as right view. And I would rather translate it as appropriate vision. <coughs> and this is a definition. When one understands our form, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness, and how the eye sees and so on, are impermanent, one thereby possesses appropriate vision. And all these definitions are in the Samyutta So basically, what is appropriate vision? Again, there are many definitions, but I think that one, again, is more, it seems to me, practical in terms of meditation and daily life. When one understands our form, feeling, perception, formation, and consciousness, 
and how the eye sees and so on are impermanent. One thereby possesses appropriate vision. And so this is the other aspect of meditation that sometimes we hear about defined as vipassana, looking deeply, experiential inquiry. So the meditation is not just about concentration and becoming peaceful, but also it's about looking deeply into our experience and being more in connection with the fact that things change. And you will tell me, but I know things change. You know, the, we are in the autumn, so it's cooler now. The day is beautiful and warm, but it's cooler. In the summer, it's not as cool. So we know things, the season change, day and night. We change too. We know we change too. But do we live as if things change? Often we don't. I feel we have a tendency to permanentize. I have a stomachache. I will always have a stomachache. It will last a whole week or a whole year. I have a problem. It's always like that. It will always be like this. So generally we have a tendency to, to permanentize. We have this tendency to make things longer than they are. And so I think the Buddha is trying to just say, look, he's not saying everything changes every second, like you are the way you are now, and then suddenly in two minutes, instead of you, I'm going to have giraffes in this room. I doubt it. So there is a certain consistency. You know, I'm not, again, going to kind of change. I mean, I could have a stroke, but... I'm not going to disappear. Suddenly a puff of smoke instead of me. Unlikely. Unless something really happened in the universe. So there is a certain continuity. But within that, there is a lot of change. And that's why the Buddha is trying. We have such a tendency to fix. And that's why the Buddha, through the appropriate vision, which then we take into meditation to just try as we sit, to just be aware that things change. Things arise and pass away. They arise upon certain conditions, disappear upon other conditions. And I think one of the meditations we can do, which can really be useful in terms of that, is either we can do the listening meditation, or we can do being aware of the sensation in the body meditation. And, and then you see it. And it's very simple. That's what is good about this meditation. It doesn't have to be very complicated. You just sit there and you're just aware, oh, the sound arises and it passes away. The sensation arises and it passes away. Just to be aware of that. You're not trying to explain it, analyze it. You just notice, oh yeah. And you see, the more you do that, just to be aware of that, kind of just as it happens, then when we are in daily life, we really start to say, oh, I have this sensation. How long this is going to last? I have this feeling. How long is this going to last? And then if it comes and it goes, you don't have to worry about it. If it stays, then of course you might have to do something about it. But instead of saying, oh, this is terrible straight away, but just to, okay, what is going on? How long is this lasting? 
that in a way, instead of starting to impute lots of things, we can be more in the experience of it. And then from that experience, we have kind of like that appropriate vision the Buddha talks about. And then it's easier, in a way, to be in daily life, to be able to see, oh, what's going on, instead of having that kind of way we magnify things. So I would say then, through that looking deeply, that experiential inquiry of how things arise and pass away, and also how they change within themselves, that also what is interesting is to be aware how things change within themselves, that even within themselves, they're not so, so solid, so fixed. Some years ago, I did this retreat in uh, the forest refuge just before they inaugurated it. We were kind of like guinea pig, uh, 30 teachers trying it out. And I was very happy to, to do a long retreat for a month. I thought, yes, you know, I'm going to do lots of meditation, get up early, go to bed late. And then within three days, I had a very, uh, lots of pain in my stomach, because that's one of my weak physical points. And so my first thought was, I'm three days into this 30-day retreat. If it's like that every day for the next 27 days, this is going to be tough. Let's wait a minute. It's going to change like all things. Let's see. And so what I did for these next 27 days was to see what is it that helped it? What is it that made it better? What is it that made it worse? So to go for a walk would be good. To lie down, do lie down meditation would be good. So then that already I could kind of, you know, play with the changing nature of it. But also what I found fascinating was when I would sit in meditation and time to time I would go and look, how does it feel? It was very interesting because sometimes it was so there and then the next minute it was so not there. And then maybe it might come later on in a different guise. And that's why I really kind of really experienced in a way the impermanence of sensation, even Intense sensation are generally not totally fixed. They come and they go. And so to be with it in that way makes it so much easier. And then I could do the whole uh, 30 days. So in a way, in looking deeply, we're going to develop with this appropriate vision, we're going to develop clarity. We're going to develop brightness of mind. And so the two together actually are going to help us to develop, but I'll come to that later, another of the Noble Eightfold Path, appropriate mindfulness, which again, I think uh, I'll talk more about this later. But then just for now, we could just have these two. The appropriate vision with looking deeply into the impermanence, the change, then appropriate concentration with this inclusive concentration. And then try to do that doing a little sitting and a little walking. Are there any questions about what I have said so far? Or is it relatively clear? Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to know how you can... Well, I was listening to you. Okay, I understand the appropriate concentration, but the inclusive concentration seems to be very closely related to mindfulness. 
So what do I mean then? Awareness, awareness of sensation, awareness of rise and fall of thought. And that awareness, how is that different from mindfulness? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am not when I uh, I am not totally very precise, but what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say, is that if you look at uh, Buddhist meditations, you have actually a spectrum in terms of concentration. Yes. You have either you have what I would call very focused concentration, we're on a very narrow point, yes. or you have on the other side like in Soto Zen, for example, mm -hmm. or in uh, Dzogchen, mm -hmm. no focus. Mm -hmm. And th then the focus is actually the spaciousness itself. Mm -hmm. And what I find is that this, if you have on this side of the spectrum, then often it becomes a little tense. Mm -hmm. So it can be very good for certain people. On this other side of the spectrum where it's just spaciousness, it can become a bit vague. And then it's very good for certain people, but not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so what I suggest is actually the middle way <laughs> between having enough focus so that you have some focus. Like either you decide I'm focusing on the breath, or you decide I'm focusing on the body, or you decide I focus on the sounds. Mm -hmm. So that's a reference point. That's an anchor. Mm -hmm. That's a focus. That's a concentration. But... It's kind of like the concentration is kind of 70% on the object. Mm -hmm. And in the background, you have this 30%. So you're not focusing specifically on any of the things which are in the background, but you're not excluding them either. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's still, I, I would say, is referent to the concentration. Mm -hmm. Because awareness, again, can be then we're talking about, in order to concentrate, I'm, I'm going to use consciousness. Otherwise, you, nothing is there. <laughs> so in a way, this is kind of the basic. In order to be able to focus, you need to, to be conscious. So there will be consciousness. But then it's kind of, you can look at what, what is it I'm consciousness, conscious, how am I conscious of? But I am refer referring to concentration because this is, I think, an important part is to focus on something, to have an anchor, to have a reference point. Of course, you can do just spacious awareness, spacious meditation. But to me, that type of meditation is like the hardest type. Because there is no focus, then it's so hard to be there in a way. The other one, I think, is hard because it's too, too asking too much to, to stay there. And so that's why I still think it's concentration. But of course, in order to be concentrated, one needs to use awareness. But I think one needs to use awareness for everything. This is another thing. I'm terribly confused. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I have heard it said that the point or the goal of concentration practice is the signless deliverance of the mind. And so what I don't quite understand is in a more expansive, uh, uh, inclusive concentration, 
uh, one seems to be negating the whole notion of the signless. So, so help me understand uh, your intent. So my intent is that you can use it in your kitchen. You see, the signless uh, thing of the mind, I think it's very good if you are a professional meditator. You see, you go in a retreat, you're in silence, your meals are cooked, you don't have much to do apart from meditating. And then you do what I would call exclusive concentration, when you just, you concentrate. And then it has its own difficulty, and very likely you might get to this signless thing. (laughs) Why not? But my problem is that I'm very pragmatic. And so personally, I would like to be able to do this in my kitchen too, or when I'm in the garden, or when I'm driving, when I'm in the queue in the supermarket. So I'm not saying that what I call exclusive concentration, which is one of the definitions of appropriate concentration, which is in order so that we develop jhanas and meditative absorption. But you see, my problem with jhanas is that I don't think you can be in a jhanic state and speak to your children at the same time. Like today, today Gilles is going for his birthday of his uh, young son is going to not he is not going to trampoline. I'm surprised. I would have trampolined myself, <laughs> but only the children are going to trampoline. But I think for Gil to be able to enjoy his children doing the trampoline is not going to be in the signless state. <laughs> I think, but it could be in a very concentrated state. Still, you see, that's what I'm trying to say. That, of course, there is generally one of the big uh, definitions of concentration is what you refer to. But personally, I think it's not so practical. So what I'm saying is that if you want to develop that, if it's in your interest, then you have to go on a silent retreat for many days and sit hours on end, which is a good idea. I did it when I was in Korea. I sat 10 hours a day for three months at a time, twice a year. But I think for us in our daily life, if we, I think concentration is really important. To me, that's why I think if we make it into rarify a thing, then it will, people will say, but how can I do this? And generally they will say, I cannot do this. So what I'm suggesting is that there is a way to concentrate, which I think is very useful, but it is a different type of concentration, where the concentration is really, I see it as an anchoring, as a reference point. And to me, that's where I see it working with our habits. Because I think often we can get really special experiences on retreat, but then we go back to daily life, and I find the people still have the same habits. They still have the same problems. <laughs> So then I'm thinking, wait a minute, how can this work? And to me, what I have seen to work with what I call inclusive concentration is just the fact that you come back. It's not about staying there, staying on the object, but the fact you come back to the object really make a difference to your state of mind. So that's what I'm talking about. Yes. 
So um, inclusive concentration is the only, only kind that will work for me. The other one, um, no chance. Um, <laughs> but I was with you all along, but except when you started, uh, you talked about the creative part of it. You said something about going from daydreams to visioning or something uh, of that imagination. kind. Imagination. Imagination, that kind of thing. Um, I understood what you were saying till that time, and what works for me is bring it back to the anchor, not get into anything else. Um, and the first time I came to listen to your talk, it was a creative engagement talk, and I, that has been with me all this time, and the reason I'm back. Um, and it's very helpful, but not while I'm sitting, when I'm trying to understand analyze what's happening, that kind of thing. Time, it's helpful, but not when I'm trying to do a practice. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I totally, you, you have a point. I was talking of two different things at the same time. Okay. Very good point. That I feel that, yes, of course, in the meditation, we just come back. Because that's the effect of concentration. That's what concentration is about. You come back. And you come back to the, your object. You come back you don't come back to imagining something. Okay. But if in the meditation you come back, you come back, you come back, this actually dissolves the habit so that when you are not meditating but you're in daily life, instead of going into daydreaming, which often people do and then get quite frustrated, then you will be more into the creative functioning of that which is imagining. That's what I meant. Okay. No, it's true. On that moment, you're not going to say, okay, instead of daydreaming, now I'm going to imagine. No, 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 no. You, you have a good point. But actually, as you were talking, it occurred to me that sometimes what happens is, as you're bringing it back, you get something else without actually thinking about it, something, some insight or something exactly. that comes in. Then that's helpful. Maybe that's... Yeah, I mean, you, then I would call that more meditative, creative thinking. Okay. Is that... Because by coming back, coming back, you're not lost in the habit, then generally there is more space, and then generally you get good ideas. And then, of course, you can be with this good idea, this insight, until it starts to repeat itself, and then back to the anchor, back to the concentration. So, shall we do it? Yeah? Okay? I believe this question was asked before, but I didn't catch the answer. Is what you're calling inclusive concentration mindfulness as we generally understand it? And if it's not, what are the differences? Uh, the, the, we're going to <laughs> get a little technical there. But uh, I'm trying not to be too technical. But what I was saying is that if we look... At the, I don't know if you're familiar with the five nama factors. You have the contact, feeling, intention, attention, and uh, focus, focusing, concentration. So in a way, our, our mind, as this, as this, I mean, it can be described in many ways, but that's one of the good models. So our mind can be aware in many different ways. 
personally to me, I would just call that consciousness. We are conscious. And then we try to develop different aspects of the consciousness we have. And one of these ways is to, through concentration. But of course, in order to be concentrated, you need mindfulness. You need to be aware. You need to have consciousness. But to me, this is kind of basic. Later, I will talk about mindfulness, and then it will become clearer. So maybe can we leave it to this? But yeah, to me, like here, I'm just trying to present something, but you could present it in a, another way. There is many different ways to present it. And the bottom line is, yes, you need to have mindfulness to do any of these things. To look deeply, you need mindfulness. To concentrate, you need mindfulness. But it will become clearer later. Hopefully, or hopefully. If not, you can ask again <laughs> or comment again. Okay? So can we just stand up, stretch a little? So we try to have the back straight. If you sit in the chair and you don't have a back problem, we try to sit in the middle of the chair. If we have a back problem and we need to sit against the back of the chair, make sure that you still can have your back straight. Otherwise, we are more likely to slouch and fall asleep. So the back is straight. The shoulders are open. The head is resting lightly on the shoulders. And then as an object of concentration, we could use the sounds. So just listening to the sounds. This is our anchor in the moment. So we're not trying to analyze the sound or comment or even name the sounds. We're just trying to listen to them as they arise and pass away. So anchoring in the sound, in the listening, and at the same time being aware that they arise and pass away, that they also change within themselves, if they last a little while. So just listening to the sound of the world. When we listen to sounds, one way to focus can be to anchor in the most prominent sound. 
And then that goes, and the next one. Or we can decide to focus in a more spacious way to the space, so focusing on the space in which the sounds happen. If we become distracted, remembering our intention to be aware, to be awake, and coming back to the anchor, just listening to the sounds as they arise and pass away. So now I would suggest that we do 20 minutes of walking meditation. So we can either walk uh, outside or inside. And as we walk, to be aware of the body, uh, walking meditation is very good for that, being aware of the body, the feet on the ground, but also being aware of sensation, arising and passing away. So the anchor becomes the body. Then we can also observe the arising and passing away within the body. Or as we walk inside, maybe there is less thing, but if you, we, we walk outside, we see things, we hear things more clearly. And again, uh, with the impermanence, we can be aware of what is passing and arising in the background, the thought, the feeling, the sensation, what we see, what we hear. So I would suggest you do this um, has everybody done walking meditation here before? Yeah, so then I don't have to explain that you can walk in a, on, a, on a small distance, back and forth, maybe a little slower, or if you prefer to walk at an ordinary pace, you can just walk around the block, just what suits you. And then cultivating both the anchoring and being aware of the path arising and passing away, and we meet back here in 20 minutes at 11. And of course, if anybody had any question, they can come and ask me. <laughs>